Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Slaw Sports Show. I'm your host, Konoba, a.k.a. Slaw, and we have a lot to talk about this week. We had another wild week in sports, like we like, we like to say here on the Slaw Sports Show. We have no guests today. It's a solo episode here with Slaw on the Slaw Sports Show, so I'm happy to have you all listening to today's episode. And we got a lot to talk about, like I just said. I mean, we got the XFL in full swing now in week four. Uh, We got the NBA rolling along now after the All-Star break. And we got the NFL now pretty much in the heat of the offseason, I would say. We talked about last episode um, with all of the free agent quarterbacks that we talked about last week. And then this week we're going to talk about some more free agent guys and then some guys we could see on the trade going forward. And then we also got... The NFL Combine actually kicked off on Thursday, and it's still going on today and into Sunday, and that's going to be preluding to our Slaw Sports Show 2.0 mock draft, which will be out next Saturday on the Slaw Sports Show. So stay tuned next week for that. Really excited about that, getting our second mock draft out there post-Combine. And we're putting a lot of work in uh, this year for the NFL draft, and I'm really excited for it. And this, this draft, it might actually be one of the best ones we've seen since 2014, I would say. A lot of good prospects and promising guys this year going forward, uh, looking to go into the NFL from college. But we start today's episode switching to the National Basketball Association, the NBA. And we have some big news coming from an interview that got released later this week of Houston Rockets shooting guard James Harden, where he allegedly he pretty much called out Giannis Antetokounmpo from the Milwaukee Bucks. And it was a very unique interview. Um, and we saw a little bit of like maybe some pushing or not really pushing and shoving, but some stabs back and forth with these two players uh, back during the all-star game draft between Giannis and LeBron James, the two king, the two team captains. And Giannis actually passed on James Harden for Boston Celtic, uh, Kimball Walker. And really, everybody was intrigued by that decision, but Giannis said he wants a guy that can pass. And he also said after the game that the offensive scheme was to target James Harden. So whoever was guarding James Harden was going to get the ball. So he kind of showed a little stab there at um, James Harden a little bit, although he came out and said that he's not really poking at him and Whatever he says, you take it as you will. But then James Harden actually said later this week when his interview got released, he called out Giannis and saying that being a seven-footer and dunking takes no skill. Which is is a pretty bold take toward a guy who won the MVP last year and right now this year is leading the team. I mean, in the month of February alone, the Milwaukee Bucks were 9-0 when Giannis Antetokounmpo was playing. And right now, this guy's averaging 29.7 points per game, which is fourth best in the NBA. They have the best record at 51 wins and eight losses. And he's averaging 13.7 rebounds per game. And on top of that, the best efficiency per game in the NBA. And yet Harden calls him out saying that being a seven-footer and dunking takes no skill. Like, I don't agree with that because Giannis is a freak athlete and you don't see any other seven footers averaging these ki- these type of uh, these type of 
points and rebounds and efficiency per game and stuff like that, those kind of stats, you don't see seven-footers doing that on the everyday basis like you do from Giannis. So Harden just a little bit, I guess, salty with the issue. And with Giannis, I mean, right now he's leading the race for MVP again. And James Harden pretty much has been feeling disrespected. And he even said that last year when Giannis won MVP, that the media actually put out like a narrative storyline regarding Giannis, which, you know, I mean, got the media really stirring with Giannis and eventually led to him winning the MVP award last year in 2019. So there's reason that James Harden should be should be pretty upset um, with the with the comparisons between him and Giannis because in his in his mind he's led the league in scoring last year he's led the league in scoring this year and like he's not really getting the recognition that he deserves and then they just keep getting bumped out in the playoffs he's not getting any titles and I mean, he's always had this issue going all the way back to his time and. Uh, Seattle back when he was on the Seattle with uh, Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant and then whenever he went over to OKC and then finally left OKC and went over and got traded to the Rockets he's never really done anything outside of the stat line and he's really just a guy that you know pads stats all game long and in my opinion I won't see a championship coming for Houston in the near future and James Harden just keeps calling out like a guy like Giannis who's leading a team in the East, which obviously the East is a lot easier than the West, but he's leading this team to the East and they have a real shot at the title this year. I would say, I mean, at 51 and eight, pretty incredible. And they're already on pace uh, to even maybe breaking the Warriors record for most wins in a season. And they've already clinched the playoffs too. So I don't know, uh, what Harden's really talking about coming out and calling out Giannis in this way. But at the same time, you just got to think about last year because Giannis beat him out by 165 votes in 2019 for MVP. What kind of media narrative do you have to make for a guy for him to win by 165 votes over you? I just don't agree with it. It's kind of like a little smoke. And, I mean, Costas after the Kumbo, Giannis's little brother even came out and said like the media is kind of just pitting these two guys against each other and it's not really what's actually going on they're not in a big like fight against each other it's just the media might actually be kind of putting these two guys together and coming out with all this stuff at the same time trying to draw a little buzz back into the nba coming here out of the all-star break and get a little drama brewing but well, that's enough drama to talk about here at the Saw sports show so i appreciate all the stuff coming out this week and give us something to talk about and then some other big news in the NBA this week is actually the in Philadelphia with the 76ers. They lost both of their star players and guard Ben Simmons and center Joel Embiid. And I mean, right now they're sitting at 37 and 26. They're fifth in the East. We've talked about this in episodes in the past um, regarding the 76ers and how they they could be a team in the East that could pull it out between them, Milwaukee. And then you have the Boston Celtics, you know, Miami Heat might swoop up there. You never, you don't really know right now how the East is going to play out besides the top with Milwaukee. And you don't know how they'll do in the playoffs like we talked about last week. But the 76ers now find themselves in a hole because Ben Simmons has a nerve infringement and he will be reevaluated in two weeks. 
So that's not saying he's out for two weeks. We don't know how long he's out for. That's saying that he will be reevaluated into. So we have to wait two weeks and then hear how long after two weeks he'll be out. And then with Joel Embiid, he has a shoulder sprain and he will be reevaluated in one week and then determine how long he'll be out after that. So that is a long time to be out here going um, pretty much closer to the three-quarter mark of the season, definitely past the halfway point now. But these two guys, they need they need these two guys in Philadelphia because right, that's pretty much their entire team right now because they got rid of a lot of players last year that were detrimental to the the uh, detrimental to this team and their roster. But now when you have these two guys with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid out for at least the near future, it puts Philadelphia in a hole who's already fifth in uh, the East. So they got a long ways to go. And these two guys being out, that's going to be really detrimental to the future of this Philadelphia team. And if they can, you know, get these two players back in probably three weeks, hopefully will probably be the minimum time that you can get both these guys back then maybe they can start readjusting and getting this ball rolling again and try to get back in a groove come playoff time. But as it stands right now, the Philadelphia 76ers are in trouble, and this is huge losses for that team. And that's pretty much all we got from the NBA. So we are going to take a quick break, listen to a quick song real quick, and we will be right back. So stay tuned because when we come back, we got what's going on this week in the XFL. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. We are back here on the Saw Sports Show now talking about the XFL. And let me just go ahead and outly say it. The XFL has been the highlight of my year so far. I absolutely love just the new league that was invented this year or implemented this year by Vince McMahon and all of her luck and all of the teams and the just everyone involved with this league. And I absolutely love it. And it's just got really helped me get through the NFL offseason. I'm a big football guy personally. Um, viewers of the show know how much I love football. And just because I'm always talking about it week in, week out. And of course, it'll just continue this week. But the XFL has really helped me get through this offseason, which has always been just my, the least favorite part of the year always for me is trying to fill the void of getting all the way back to August when the season starts starting up with the preseason games and then going into September. But the XFL has filled that void, and I absolutely love it. And today started week four in the XFL. The first game started at around 2 o'clock, and it was my team, the L.A. Wildcats, led by quarterback Josh Johnson, the former NFL player. You might remember his time. Um, he was a journeyman, but... You might remember him from the Washington Redskins, but he is the quarterback of the Los Angeles Wildcats. And they faced off against the New York Guardians, a team that was, well, they were both sitting at one and two before the game, I do believe. And uh, we talked about it on one-on-one -on -one sports on Thursday, just breaking down our tiers. And um, I talked about how LA, after knocking off the DC defenders last week, 39 to nine, and at the time, D.C. was one of the hottest teams in the XFL. But they knocked them off at home. I bumped them up there, said, this team is a contender. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of a bias. But uh, I said, this team's a contender. And then at the very bottom of the tier, I had teams that need to go ahead and hang it up for the season. I mean, already in three weeks down, entering the fourth, I was like, yeah, these these teams are pretty much done for. And one, that team, one of those teams was the New York Guardians. And unfortunately, the New York Guardians at home took care of the LA Wildcats. Pretty ironic as it is. And I mean, from our predictions here at the Slaw Sports Show, it, it kind of goes along. Just another check in the lost column for that prediction. But the New York Guardians defeated my LA Wildcats 17 to 14. And they did it without starting quarterback Matt McGloin, who's actually been in a little bit of a turmoil in New York. And people already saying that uh, his job should already be on the line, that maybe they should move on from him already and enter somebody else. But this week, they didn't really move on from him. He was on the injury report and then just um, got cleared out as, uh, as inactive when the game started. So Matt McGloin did not play today and entered Luis Perez, the backup quarterback for the New York Guardians. And that's a guy who saw a little bit of action earlier in the season, uh, but he came in and started for Matt McGloin, and he had a pretty decent game, I would say. He went 18 for 26 for 150 yards and a touchdown. So not bad in relief for a guy who's injured, uh, but not obviously phenomenal, as we've seen like from, say, Jordan Tiamu, who's playing right now in St. Louis, or P.J. Walker, who's right now the MVP favorite of the XFL over in the Houston Rough, for the Houston Roughnecks. But another week we saw of the LA Wildcats giving up a lot of running, a lot of rushes. We had two running backs for New York. One had 82 yards, their leading rusher, and then their backup had eight carries for 32 yards. So both guys averaging over four yards per rush. And that's just the storyline that we've seen from this LA Wildcats team since they moved on from their defensive coordinator after week one. And going into this week, actually, through three week or through week two and week three, they're averaging upwards to 150 yards uh, rushing per game that they were giving up to the other team. But on the flip side, they were getting, uh, through, through three weeks, they had seven interceptions. So that side of the ball was looking good, but it was just the run defense that was really struggling. And that continued today for the LA Wildcats. And on the Wildcats side, they had a pretty decent game, I would say. Just not enough. And, you know, they had a little trickery at the end of the game and uh, almost got it into the end zone to win it, but they got stopped short. But Josh Johnson, I mean, he was 25 for 40, which is 63%, 330 yards, and then he had two touchdowns and then the lone interception. But the storyline for the L.A. offense is the fact that Nelson Spruce, their star wide receiver, was injured last late last week and then did not get cleared to play this week. So that was a huge loss for L.A. That's one of my favorite players on the team is wide receiver Nelson Spruce. So a guy like Trey McBride definitely had to set, step up, and he did, getting eight catches for 127 yards and then one of the two touchdowns from Josh Johnson. But it just wasn't enough uh, for L.A., and they're really missing um, Nelson Spruce as that key difference maker on offense. They're hoping to get him back soon, but uh, that's how it worked out for that first game. The second game, which is currently going on, is the St. Louis Battlehawks and the Seattle Dragons. The two teams I'm pretty high on. 
Um, Seattle is currently down 20 to 16. So St. Louis, again, that will run for their money here. Jordan Tiamu has 239 yards uh, late in the fourth quarter with one touchdown. So Tiamu is continuing to put on a good performance. He's leading the team in rushing as well with 56 yards. So loving what we see from Jordan Tiamu, the guy who's second in the MVP race for the XFL. But on the other side, we have uh, Brandon Silvers. And actually, yeah, Brandon Silvers is pretty much leading the team in passing. They have a couple other guys who have completed a couple passes, but Silvers uh, was pretty much a lead guy, but it looks like now uh, BJ Daniels has taken over the game, and he has uh, 93 yards and a touchdown and a 158 passer rating. So he's pretty much taken over for Brandon Silvers today. We don't know what really is going on there, if there's an injury or what really happened at the time. But Silvers is out for Seattle, and BJ Daniels is in. So we're just going to keep monitoring that going forward for the rest of today, uh, wrapping up the Saturday games. And then tomorrow we have the Houston Roughnecks against the Dallas Renegades, the first battle of Texas for the XFL. And then wrapping up week four, we got the D.C. Defenders and the Tampa Bay Vipers. D.C. looking to get back on track. And the Vipers looking to actually get their first win of the season. So that wraps up this week in the XFL. And now we're going to switch over to the NFL, uh, most likely for the remainder of today's episode. And one of the main storylines I want to begin with is the CBA uh, talks um, with the NFL going forward for their new rules and regulations for the years to come. And, I mean, Marie Smith, um, the guy who's kind of leading the CBA this year, he said that he's confident players will approve of what they're trying to pass this year, which is a 17-game season, a increase in the wild-card games, uh, two more wild-card games, adding pretty much one team from each side, the AFC and the NFC, into the playoffs. And then that Week 17 game, uh, they're going to have a $250,000 cap for the players to make in that Week 17 game. And, I mean, Smith said that the, he's confident the players will approve, but already we have three of the key spokesperson, spoke, spoke athletes um, for the CBA with Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback from the Green Bay Packers, Richard Sherman, the corner from the San Francisco 49ers, both said no. And then today, which this is pretty much some breaking news we had from last night, but Michael Thomas today said players should not sign it. No way an announcer should make more than 90% of the NFL players. And that comes off of the breaking news from yesterday of Tony Romo, the former Dallas Cowboys quarterback and now a color announcer for CBS, signed an extension with CBS that is a $17 million extension. And right now it's set at three years, but when CBS um, passes their new contract with the NFL, it could be upwards to 10 years at, at $17 million for Tony Romo. So that's what Michael Thomas is hinting at there um, by saying that there's no way that, a pl- that players should pass this when an announcer is making more than 90% of the NFL players. And there's been a lot of players that have spoken out about it on Twitter today as well. And honestly, congrats for Tony Romo, but at the same time, I do agree with it. Uh, 
the NFL players are, however, making a lot of money um, as it stands. But you got a guy like Tony Romo just talking about the game. He's not even a guy who's actually playing and going through all the stuff that the players are going through, making, I mean, way more than normal players. But going back to the actual essence of the CBA talks and what they were trying to pass, the 17-game season, I've talked about this before, I absolutely do not agree with. And because Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL, continues to say that he will do everything to the best interest of the health of his players in the NFL. And yet they are going to pass a new rule adding another game. And they've already said that 16 is too much for them, plus the playoffs, plus um, at the beginning of the year, OTA, spring training, not really spring training, but the practices, and then the preseason, and they toyed with taking out a preseason game and adding in the 17th game. That's a 17 live, like full regular game. And that's not really working out uh, for the health of the players. And one of the big things we've seen is players retiring early. Luke Keekley, Andrew Luck, Rob Gronkowski. Pretty much for the sole reason of injury. So it doesn't make sense to me why you would add another game when you have your top faces of your franchise faces of the league retiring due to injury why would you add another game to that that i don't agree with and also from the standpoint of like guys who are the legendary hall of famers who are leading the stats guys like jerry rice for receiving and then barry sanders up there and rushing and i mean at, at where it stands right now tom brady doesn't have that many years ahead of him or drew Brees. but think about if those guys had 17 games in a season no one would absolutely come near to their stats if they had an extra game for every season they played. And yet now guys actually have the opportunity to catch those guys on the all-time leaderboards now in the fu- in the future and like the next decades because they'll have a 17-game season supposedly and they'll just have the opportunity to get more stats and pass these guys on the all-time leaderboard. I don't think that's fair for those guys. I mean, they're legends for a reason, have those stats for a reason, and you're kind of taking away the true meaning behind the accomplishments they've had in the league. And then for the two wild card games, this one is an interesting one. And Aaron Rodgers especially spoke out about this one because with adding an extra wild card team into the mix, the second seed no longer gets a bye week. So in the NFC's case from this past year, that would be the Green Bay Packers. They wouldn't have that bye week. And they still have home field advantage in Lambeau, but they wouldn't have had the bye week. So clearly, it's easy to see why Aaron Rodgers is against this. But at the same time, how it would be more entertaining. The playoffs are pretty much the most entertaining part of the NFL once you start getting to like weeks 13, 14, 15. It kind of starts drawing down in viewership until you hit the playoffs and it starts skyrocketing again. So adding another playoff game sounds like a good idea in a sense but then you have like you would have the seven and nine cowboys from this year make the playoffs in the nfc that would be the extra team or probably like the rams um may have made it but it just opens up a whole nother bunch of issues and i don't know why they're trying to 
all the leagues and the MLB is dealing with this too. One, they're trying to completely just change the format of their league. And it just changed the whole legacy of the league and the essence and the meanings behind the league. When you try to just all of a sudden say, no, nah, we're just going to switch things up and see how it works out. And that's just not a philosophy I agree with. And it, I mean, if it's working fine, just keep going how it's keep doing it, how it's supposed to be and how you've done it for years before. Don't go in and try to change everything. But that's how I stand with the CBAs. Um, so it's just going to be interesting because in the coming weeks, they're finally going to vote on it and have the final results of their decision. So we'll come back to this issue when that happens. But for now, that's where we stand. That's what's going on with the CBA negotiations with the NFL. So we're going to take a quick break and we come back. We're going to run down some of the big things that have happened so far in the in the NFL combine and start talking about a little free agency non-quarterback moves that we want to see happen in the coming weeks before the draft. So stay tuned. We'll be right back on the Slaw Sports Show. The NFL Combine is officially here and with us, um, or in the studio here at the Slaw Sports Show, we have, of course, me, uh, Colnova, a.k.a. Slaw, doing the solo episode this week. But the NFL Combine is here and we are here to give the key takeaways that we've seen so far from the first three days, um, which is including today, and then day four is coming tomorrow, which is going to feature the defensive backs, the corners, and the safeties. So good stuff coming tomorrow, too, so stay tuned. Looking forward to that on NFL Network. And But, I mean, so far I've been impressed. I mean, these guys are some freak athletes in the draft this year. And like I said, this is the best draft class I've seen since 2014. And this, the guys this year are absolutely incredible. I mean, day one, we were all hyped up on our seats. I mean, in, in Lucas Oil Stadium over in Indianapolis, you could hear a pin drop. Because Henry Ruggs III, the wide receiver from Alabama, all hopes were on him to break the all-time 40 record set by Bengals receiver John Ross at 4-2-2. So when Henry Ruggs came up for his run, all eyes were on him. Not a soul was speaking. But unfortunately, he didn't break the record. Uh, he officially clocked in at 4-2-2, or 4 uh, pardon me, but 4-2-7. Um, and he stumbled on the first run and interviewing after the, after the day one. Henry Ruggs said that first run was it. But he tripped up, and they said that he went um, before they were ready so they called him back to run a second time, and then that's when he got the 4-2-7. But still, that is the fourth best we've seen in the combine at the 40-yard dash. So he has lightning-quick speed. That's faster than Tyreek Hill um, at the 40, but obviously we got to see how it plays out um, in game speed. But from what we've seen in Alabama so far, Henry Ruggs is the guy. And then he had a 42-inch vertical, which was second best of all wide receivers. So this guy... Uh, had a huge performance, and stock is going to be rising on him going forward. Um, they have him ranked right now as the number three wide receiver behind fellow teammate Jerry Judy and Oklahoma's C.D. Lamb, who both pretty much had pretty good combines as well. C.D. Lamb had a pretty impressive catch um, doing some of the receiving drills on the field. But an issue that I'm not really agreeing with 
from the combine day one was Joe Burrow, the presumptuous right now number one overall pick, uh, quarterback from LSU, not taking apart in any of the drills at the combine. He came and showed up, weighed in. Everyone said his hands were too small, which is doesn't really matter anyways. And then his interviews, he was impressive in his interviews, I would say. But he didn't take part in the drills. He wasn't injured. I don't really know the reasoning, but the way it looks at it is that he knows he's going to be number one. So why even do it? Which I do not like. And that's the same thing um, that we're seeing today with Chase Young out of Ohio State, the edge rusher, who is expected to be the top prospect in the draft this year. A self or not a proclaimed generational talent of this year's draft. And he is another guy who today is not taken apart in any of the drills. So if you're watching today, you're not seeing Chase Young out there, that is why. He's not gonna take apart in any drills. Again, he's not injured, just not doing it. And I don't agree with that at all. I to attack of Viola, I understand. He is physically unable to perform. But with Joe Burrow and Chase Young, you're trying to impress scouts out there. And when Tua has his pro day and goes off and shows he's healthy, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Cincinnati goes another direction with their number one overall pick. Or if what they're seeing from Chase Young at the same time, um, I wouldn't be surprised if the Washington Redskins start answering a couple phone calls for that number two overall pick. So that's just my input coming out there. But some other news that we saw from day one was Justin Herbert actually put on a good performance. And I was pretty impressed with what I saw from Justin Herbert, the quarterback out of Oregon. He ran a 4-6-8-40, which is really, really good, way above average for quarterbacks. And then posted a 35-and-a-half-inch vertical, which is also pretty impressive. Um, that's a half an inch above uh, fellow quarterback Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts beat him out in the 40, though, running a 4-5-9, which is very impressive for a quarterback. He really showed off his mobility. And then the quarterback with the fastest 40 was actually Hawaii's quarterback Cole McDonald, who ran a 4-5-8. So he showed off his speed there, and he looked actually pretty decent but he's not really one of the guys who's being highly scouted um, in the combine or in the draft process. But he could be a guy looking forward in the later rounds that you could see pick up. And so if that happens, you've heard it here first. He had a good combine. And Jordan Love, I love him now. That is one of my favorite quarterbacks now in this draft. Until I see what Tua Tagovailoa can do when healthy, but Jordan Love absolutely impressed with all of his throws. His footwork was perfect. His throws were on point. Accuracy looked great. And his numbers were pretty good. Uh, 4, 7, 4, 40. And then had a vertical jump of 35 and a half. So the same as Justin Herbert. And Mel Kuyper, uh, one of the uh, head draft analysts, actually said that, actually put a $5,000 bet. I think it was on Jordan Love being drafted above Justin Herbert. So Jordan Love created a lot of buzz day one of the combine and a lot of people blew up on Twitter after his throws when 
uh, Rich Eisen actually compared him to Patrick Mahomes. That's when Twitter really blew up. So the love for love is definitely um, showing through from day one of the combine, and we're going to see um, how the process goes forward leading up to the draft in April and if Jordan Love actually could be taken above Justin Herbert. Uh, Justin Herbert, however, in my opinion, does look like an ideal prospect at, at the quarterback position from the size and physical ability-wise. But Jordan Love could actually sneak up there and get drafted above Justin Herbert, which I could also agree with if I see that. So another thing we saw from day one was the emergence of Denzel Mims. You may not have heard of him before Thursday, but you should now because he's the wide receiver out of Baylor. He ran a 4.3840, so it's not the 4.27 we saw from Henry Ruggs, but that is still very impressive. He had a 38.5-inch vertical, a 6.663 cone time, and to put everything, put the icing on the cake, this guy is 6'3", 207 pounds at receiver. Again, running a 4.38 with a 38.5-inch vertical and a 6.663 cone time. That guy absolutely showed out. And unfortunately, with the draft class we have at receiver this year, which is one of the best we've seen maybe ever at receiver. But still, for teams that are looking for a wide receiver and go a different direction in the first round, rounds two, three, I'll just start looking at Denzel Mims because this guy started looking like a freak athlete. And uh, the, the news around him, the buzz around him is definitely growing, but it's not at the point of the top uh, wide receivers that we see in the draft. And then from week two, we saw the running backs and the offensive linemen. And some of these big guys on the offensive line are some straight athletes. Specifically, Mikai Becton, who's the offensive tackle from Louisville. This guy ran a 51040 at 364 pounds. This guy is a freak. All eyes were on him um, as a towering left tackle, 6'7", like I said, 364 pounds. And on his 40, they measured his 10-yard split, which is ideally what you'd want to see um, from offensive linemen is that first 10 yards and how big of a burst they have going into those first three yards. But he had a 177-second 10-yard split. His time is the fastest ever by a player over 350 pounds at the combine. So that guy is massive and fast. So obviously what ideally you'd look for as an offensive tackle, he shot up on my board. More on that next week when we go over our 2.0 post-combine mock draft. But Mikai Becton's definitely a guy I'm big on after um, yesterday's performance, day two of the combine. And another offensive lineman, who absolutely dominated was Tristan Wars, the offensive tackle from Iowa. He's not as big as Mikai Becton. Actually, he's 320 pounds. But he ran a 4.8640, faster than some of the running backs, faster than most tight ends. So this guy really showed out. And on top of that, he set the record for vertical and broad jumps at the combine for offensive tackles. So... I mean, watching it, it was difficult to tell whether he was one of the offensive linemen or one of the running backs. And, I mean, his vertical alone is better than DeAndre Hopkins, A.J. Green, and Amari Cooper when they were in the combine. So this guy is filled with athletic upside going into the draft. 
and his size mixed with that athletic upside is what you look for in the new age offensive line. So that guy, Tristan Wars, and then big boy Mikai Becton absolutely dominated day two of the combine. And then at receiver, we actually, or uh, running back, pardon me, we saw another performance that was spectacular from Jonathan Taylor, the running back out of Wisconsin. He posted numbers that were similar or even better to the past three kind of combine dominators at running back of Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, and Nick Chubb. And he had a 40 time of 4-4-1. To put that in perspective, Saquon Barkley ran a 4-4-0. So he's one hundredth of a second slower than Saquon Barkley. And both of them are the only running backs to weigh over 225 pounds and run a 40 under 4-4-5 since 2014. So the former Wisconsin star, Jonathan Taylor, is definitely making an impact. And we're going to get into him next week. And he may even uh, get a little hint out there. He might actually come up on the uh, first-round draft board. Uh, So the running back out of Wisconsin definitely putting on a show out of the other running backs. And then another one that kind of really stepped up was Clyde Edwards-Hilaire out of LSU. This guy... Uh, I mean, he set some impressive marks. Um, he had 123-inch broad jump, a 39.5-inch vertical, and really just ex- showing his explosive lower body. And that's what we saw this year at um, for LSU from Clyde Edwards to Lair. He had a 4.640, which isn't that impressive, but at the same time, that's not his ability. His ability is the short, open field, kind of close-quartered, in and out of the traffic um, and then hitting the hole with this huge lower body burst that we saw. And another thing we saw from him was the receiving ability, which wasn't something that we've seen before, but he had lightning quick feet actually. And I mean, he was running pretty smooth routes. So two things that might put him above some of the other running backs in that position um, in the draft. But obviously I don't think not John, uh, Jonathan Taylor. I think he's definitely led the pack this year at the NFL combine. So the combine continues today um, for the rest of the night and then tomorrow, um, day four, with, like like I said, the defensive back showing out. So look forward to those on NFL Network, but we're now going to move on to the free agency in the NFL, which actually comes before the NFL draft. Last week, we talked about the quarterback carousel, and there's a lot of big names on that list that we talked about the potential landing spots for those guys. But now we're going to talk about some uh, some of the non-quarterbacks today and where we think they will go. So we're going to start off the list with Jadavion Clowney, the 27-year-old outside linebacker, the former Houston Texan who got traded to the Seattle Seahawks, didn't have really the career year that we... Um, the groundbreaking year that we usually see from Clowney back from the Texans, but he had a pretty decent year and he'll still create a lot of buzz in the free agency market at the position and look for teams like maybe the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. If they don't resign Shaq Barrett, who is also on our list at outside linebacker, but if they don't resign Shaq Barrett, Davion Clowney could be an option. And you also look at teams who need just the outside edge rushers, say maybe the Miami Dolphins. 
And then we got Amari Cooper, the 27-year-old Dallas Cowboy wide receiver who has been a beast at the wide receiver position. This year was nominated to the Pro Bowl. And why we have Amari Cooper on this list is because the Dallas Cowboys are in tricky waters this offseason because they have star quarterback Dak Prescott, their star wide receiver, Amari Cooper, and then their top cornerback in Byron Jones, all set to hit, hit the free agency and demand a lot of money that they don't have. So the Dallas Cowboys have to make a decision on who they're going to bring back out of the three. And if they can bring back two, ideally that's the option. Um, but they'll have to take a pay cut from Dak Prescott. And that's or maybe like a franchise tag that's cheaper than a long-term extension, but that's maybe not what Dak wants, like we talked about last episode. But if they do that, they'll most likely bring back Amari Cooper with them. But if they give Dak the big money, Amari Cooper might be on the move and will be one of the most highly coveted wide receivers in free agency this year. And look for wide receiver needy teams like the New England Patriots or the Buffalo Bills to make a move on a guy like Amari Cooper. Another wide receiver on the move is 32-year-old Cincinnati wide receiver A.J. Green, who is expected most likely to sign a franchise tag with the Cincinnati Bengals. But in my opinion, for A.J. Green, it is time to move on. And arguably, in a sense, his career has pretty much been wasted in Cincinnati, as most players are in Cincinnati. <laughs> Joe Burrow may actually be one of those guys, but Andy Dalton's one of those guys. Uh, but uh, A.J. Green, I think he needs to be on the move. And again, uh, looking at the wide receiver needy teams with the New England Patriots or the Buffalo Bills or maybe even my Green Bay Packers may call up A.J. Green and say, hey, maybe you can want to come in and be the number two guy behind Devontae Adams. But all likelihoods looking like that A.J. Green will be signing the franchise tag with... Um, the Cincinnati Bengals, which brings us to our next player, Austin Hooper, the tight end from the Atlanta Falcons, has been probably, in my opinion, one of the most underrated tight ends in the league. This guy has been consistently reliable and a very good red zone threat. And he has met with the Chicago Bears and the Green Bay Packers. Uh, both expressed interest in him. Both have talked to him. So both those teams are on the lookout for a new tight end. Um, you got Trey Burton in Chicago. They're looking for an upgrade with him. And then in Green Bay, you have uh, Jimmy Graham, a guy who's entering the tail end of his career, hinted at retirement already in this offseason with a massive cap hit on the team this year. So if they move on from Jimmy Graham, Austin Hooper could be a good addition for the Green Bay Packers. Also look for a team like the Washington Redskins who moved on from Jordan Reed as their tight end. They also have a hole there, and they couldn't bring in Ron Rivera's old tight end, Greg Olson. So maybe they turn the switch and look over to Austin Hooper. Another big name is Derrick Henry, the running back uh, from the Tennessee Titans, who's an absolute beast and uh, nicknamed King Henry for a reason. He led Tennessee all the way to the AFC Championship game this year. He is going to have a huge market for him, but I don't agree with running back markets to begin with, but he will have a huge market for him after the showing that he put on this year and years in the past because he's been consistently dominant at the running back position. So if he cannot return to the Tennessee Titans, who are in another issue between uh, Derrick Henry and then quarterback Ryan Tannehill, who shined um, in the later half of the year for Tennessee, 
But if they can't bring back Derrick Henry, this could be a perfect opportunity for the Miami Dolphins to make a move and sign a huge, big bully running back to lead that offense. When you get in a young quarterback, most likely in the draft, you want to have a huge dominant guy that can dominate the run and take a little pressure off of him. So obviously Derrick Henry is that guy, but another guy is Melvin Gordon from the Los Angeles Chargers. Could be another explosive type of back for a team that needs a running back, say the Miami Dolphins, going with that example. He is another huge name. He's 27 years old, um, a year older than Derrick Henry, but he might be a little bit cheaper uh, going forward. And I don't really think he'll be back with the Chargers. They've had issues with money in the past, so a long-term agreement doesn't look likely. So now we're going to talk about some trade candidates. We got some big news that might actually happen via trade this uh, free agency. And we're going to start with Stephon Diggs, who I think is the most likely option, the wide receiver out of uh, Minnesota with the Vikings. This guy has expressed frustration all year long with both Kirk Cousins, um, head coach Mike Zimmer, and wide receiver um, Adam Thielen. So he's expressed really disappointment with all three of those guys. He has a $14 million cap hit this year. Definitely I got a guy that I see could be traded. And I'm just going to throw it out there. Oakland Raiders, you have two first-round picks this year. If that's what they want, or maybe even if they want to go cheaper, give them like a, a package deal involving a second-round pick, go out and get Stephon Diggs. You're going to a new city in Vegas. You want to have an explosive guy to take Vegas by storm. Go out and get Stephon Diggs. Another guy who's expressed frustrations with their team is cornerback Darius Slay. There's going to be a huge market for Darius Slay um, at corner, one of the best lockdown corners in the league, and nicknamed Big Play Slay for a reason. This guy is dominant at making big plays. But they traded Quandre Diggs last year out of Detroit at safety. Big friend of Darius Slay. So we're now thinking that Darius Slay could also be on the move. And looking at the draft board we had from our 1.0 mock draft, we had the Detroit Lions selecting Jeff Akuda out of Ohio State as their new number one lockdown corner. Cheaper alternative, younger, a lot of upside with Akuda. So Darius Slay is a guy I could see on the move. And, I mean, Howie over in Philadelphia, you need a corner, pick up the phone. Or you got Seattle who got Quandre Diggs last year. You need an upgrade at cornerback. You could also team him back up with his former teammate. And then an interesting one who the team said that they're not interested in trading. We're going to wrap up with this guy is Le'Veon Bell. A guy who was dominant in his years with the, as a Pittsburgh Steeler. Sat out in a whole year for contract with contract disputes with the organization. And then finally signed a big money contract with the Jets and posted his worst uh, career or worst stack uh, season in his career. So obviously, I see the frustration with Le'Veon Bell. You paid him all this money. You expected more from him. And you didn't get it. So he could be a guy on the move. The team said they're not really interested in shopping for him. But when a team calls and offers a package kind of deal for him, all options are on the table. So Le'Veon Bell is our final guy that we could see being traded uh, going in to free agency so the big question now is which team is going to make these moves 
And, I mean, you got the Colts who have a stockpile of cap space. Miami Dolphins, I'm pretty sure, are number one in cap space with three first-round picks. So looking forward in the offseason, really all eyes are on these teams to see who are gonna, who's going to make the move and who's going to win this offseason. So that's all we have from this week of the Saw Sports Show. So thank you all for listening and tuning in. And um, if you haven't checked out any of the other episodes, go ahead and check them out. They are on anchor.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere you get a podcast at the Saw Sports Show. Follow me on Twitter as well at at Slaw Sports Show to catch up on all the breaking news and the retweets and what's going on in the sports world. And stay tuned for next week when we unveil the Saw Sports Show 2.0 2020 NFL Mock Draft. So we'll see you guys next week with that. But as for this week, that wraps it up. So we'll see you all next time. Have a great rest of your weekend and week going forward. And we'll be back. So peace.